All right. So we are in the middle of James. Like literally now we're in the middle of James. We've gone through the first two chapters. We are now in chapter three of the book of James. And so if you want to turn there, we're, we're looking at James chapter three. We're looking at the first 12 verses in James three. There are Bibles back at that connect table if you don't have one right now. Um, but you can also just download it really quick on your device because I know you all have a device in your pocket or purse or somewhere sitting next to you. Um, so as, as we look to that though, last week if you were with us, and maybe if you were with us, you may have had to go back and re-listen to it online because we also had all the kids in here with us, and it might have been a little distracting. Um, but if you were with us, then you know we were looking at what James wrote about how our works, our works matter. That you can say one thing with your mouth, but if your works are betraying your words, then your faith is useless, basically. And so some pretty, pretty intense, harsh words that James had to say about that. And now, this week, James continues writing in that letter, and now he's going to talk about the importance of our words. And so we were just looking at, man, like you can say all these things, but if you aren't living it, it doesn't matter, right? And now we're going to go, but what you say really matters too. And so James is getting right at that as well. And why... It seems like the book of James is just like this, this letter of like these really disjointed thoughts, all right? And it seems like those two things are going to be competing with each other, but really, we have to look at it in the context of who James is writing to and why he's writing it. And at the very beginning of the letter, James says, this is to the church dispersed throughout the nations, right? This is to the saints, the believers of Christ who have been dispersed and so there was a time where God's people were called to live as a nation set apart from the other nations in the world. And now God's people are called to live as a people scattered throughout many nations, still set apart from the world. And those are distinct calls. Those are distinct ways to really live out what your faith is, right? Because if you're one nation and you're together together, what the Hebrew people were picturing when Jesus would come is that now when his grace is open up to all these other people, that these people would come into their gates. They would come into their city and they would conform their lifestyle to match them and they would come and look like them. And instead, the very opposite thing happened. That the, the people of God got dispersed throughout all these other nations and now they're having to learn how to live in God's ways faithfully in the midst of a culture that is completely counter to everything Jesus taught them. How different is that from today? That's what we're living in now, right? We have to live counterculturally to the world that we are in right now. No matter where you are, if you're in India or the U.S. And so James' letter is still for us today. And it's almost like if I, as a dad, were to write a letter to my sons with like, this is everything I want you to learn to grow up to be a good man. It's kind of like what James is doing. He's saying, this is, this is what you need to know to be the people of God in the midst of this generation, in the midst of this nation that you're in, this culture. And so it can seem like a lot of different thoughts, but it's, it's the wisdom that he picked up from his half-brother Jesus, who is also his Lord. And he's saying, I mean, really, if you look at James, it's mirroring a lot of what Jesus said, especially Sermon on the Mount, which we did not too long ago. And so he's taking that and he's saying, this is how we continue to live in faith in Jesus. And so he, it's very appropriate that in chapter one, he talks about our desires, our heart, and then he moves into 
what we looked at last week, our actions, our works. And now he's moving into our words. Our language and our liturgy. Our words and our works all come from our worship. Or we could say our head, heart, and hands. It's all intertwined. And so James is looking to get at the whole person. Not just what you say, not just what you do, but the whole person, making us whole people again in our faith in Jesus and being wholly devoted to Christ. So let's turn to James 3 right now. And if you would, if you can, please stand with me as we read God's word. James, inspired by the Holy Spirit, continues to write this in chapter three. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness, for we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers and sisters, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. This is God's word. Father, we pray that your word would speak to us this morning, that it would perform the works of your will in our hearts, that it would transform us, renew us, restore us. God, that we would be sent out as your people to speak your words of life, the words of your good news. God, we pray that every hearer this morning, their minds and their hearts would be prepared to hear and receive. God, we pray that as I speak with this tongue, that you have given me, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be pleasing and acceptable to you, my rock and my redeemer, in Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So yesterday, if, if I feel like you can't follow me at some point in this, I apologize. Yesterday we had six boys and three dogs staying overnight and then like a block party in our driveway. <laughs> um, and so it was a little crazy. I'm a little tired. One of those dogs is ours. We have a dog now. And I always thought I was going to be 
I always thought I was a dog person uh, until we got our first dog as an adult. And I realized, oh, there's a lot more responsibility. Like my parents did a lot of stuff for this dog I didn't have to do. Uh, But also this dog we got, Millie, she's two years old and we got her from a rescue. And she's got some high needs and she's an interesting creature. The other morning, a couple of days ago, I woke up and I was in bed and I haven't been sleeping well lately for some reason. So I I was just exhausted. I'm laying there and I hear my wife and kids in the kitchen and they're getting ready for the day and I'm laying in bed and I hear my wife tell one of our sons to feed Millie and to give her water because that's their job. And that apparently didn't happen because Millie comes into my room and goes into the bathroom and starts drinking out of the toilet. And I'm like, all right, one of you guys need to get Millie some water because she's drinking out of the toilet and it sounds gross. It's grossing me out right now. But I'm just laying in bed. Like, you guys got to do it. And so I'm laying there, and she just starts, she's just lapping up the water, like going after. And I'm like, that toilet bowl cannot hold that much water. She's been just like <laughs> slurping it in for a long time, and it's grossing me out. And then she walks out of my bathroom, and she starts walking toward me, going, <laughs> I almost lost it, you guys. She comes over and just pukes it all up on the carpet right next to my bed while I'm laying there. And I was like, oh, this is, get this dog out of here. I didn't want this dog in the first place. And here it is. Sheds all over our couches. Like, it sheds really, really bad. Really bad. I'm embarrassed when people come over to my home. I'm like, I swear, I've been vacuuming this couch forever, and it won't come off. Uh, and she knows she's not supposed to be on the couch. But the second we leave the house, we see through the window. She's up there looking at us through the window, through the blinds. And the only way she could be up there is if she's sitting on the couch. And the second we walk in, she dashes off real quick and runs and hides like, I didn't do anything. She's like pulling on her her leash when we give her walks. Like she cannot, like she chokes herself because she's just like wanting to go. And she's like, "Ah, ah, ah," and she's still going. And I'm like, stop, you're hurting yourself. Like just stay with me. Stay at my pace. I can't tame this dog, you guys, and it's this short little stubby-legged creature, and I got no control over it. And I was like, I thought in Scripture, as human beings, as mankind, made the image of the glorious God, we had dominion over all the animals and the creatures. It doesn't seem like I have that over Millie. I don't understand it. And James is talking about, listen, every creature on earth has been tamed by mankind but you can't do that for your own mouths. As hard as it is for me to tame Millie, even harder for me to control what comes out of this thing. And so he starts giving these examples and he's saying, listen, you can can put a bit inside of a horse's mouth and control it and tame it. A horse is this huge, strong, majestic creature that will like throw you 10 feet in the air if you get in its way, right? And yet, if you put this bit in its mouth, a little child can learn how to tame this thing and ride it and tell it to do what they want it to do. And so James is saying, your tongue is like that. What you say, what comes out of your mouth, really controls and sets the course for your entire being. Why? Because out of your heart is where your words come from. Jesus said something like that. 
We're going to look at that in a second. And so he's saying, if you can control that, you can then control the whole person. But here's the problem. Every beast, every creature has been tamed by humanity. But no person can tame the tongue. It's a little defeating, isn't it? All right, let's go eat. Sack lunch Sunday. We're done. We can't do it. Let's give up, right? And I think that's why James starts this transition into chapter three when he's talking about, listen, you, you gotta, enter chapter two, you gotta live what you're saying. You say you believe God. You say you got all this right doctrine and theology, this right understanding. Like, prove it. Show me with your works the way that you love people, the way that you treat one another. You must live that out. And now he transitions into this frightening statement for me as I stand up here teaching God's word. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness, for we all stumble in many ways. Like if that doesn't give the person preaching a pause, to reflect on their own selves. I don't know what will. And what he's essentially saying is, listen, you people that he was getting after in the end of chapter two who got all this right understanding and right theology but never display the love of Christ to another, and basically you're using this knowledge that you puffed yourself up with with pride that you have about who God is, you're using that knowledge to win arguments with people but you aren't displaying the love of Christ, he says, you shouldn't, you shouldn't even dare to become a teacher. Because even you who thinks you're saying all the right things, like the Pharisees who had all the right things to say, and Jesus had some very harsh words for them, even you who think you're saying all the right things are going to be condemned by your words. Because even you are falling short. That's what James says, here's the proof. You think you got it all down? You got it figured out? Even you, who have all this right understanding, will condemn yourself with your words. Jesus said in Matthew 12, if you wouldn't mind getting that slide up there for me, Aaron, or Patrick, whoever's got a free hand right now. Matthew 12, verses 36 and 37, Jesus, talking to the Pharisees, the religious leaders of his day, he says, I tell you, on the day of judgment, this is the day when Jesus will return, taking back rightfully all of creation as his kingdom, him being king on his throne. On the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified, and by your words, you will be condemned. Now, hold on. We just read at the end of James 2, James was saying that, like, your works are going to justify you, right? And we had this big conversation about this argument, people between, like, what does Paul say? What does James say? And we found out, actually, no, Paul is saying the same thing James is saying. When we read this, we go, wait a second, though, hold on. We're, we're justified or condemned by our words now? And so let me just ask this to you. I would love to hear your thoughts, honestly. What do you think is more important for the person trying to follow Christ? Are your words or your works most important? What do you think? Say 
Words? Why? Because our words are an indication of our heart. Hmm. Words are an indication of our heart. Okay. I was going to say works, just because you can say that you are a follower of Christ, you can say all these wonderful things, but then, you know, if your actions don't follow through, then that's kind of, you know, can be hypocritical. Mm. And maybe the works are even more important. They're both very mm. important, so it's hard question. Yeah. It is a hard question. It's intentionally a hard, tricky question. <laughs> yeah, so one, one vote words, one vote works, because if you say you believe God, but you aren't backing it up with your actions, then it's kind of hypocritical. Mike, were you going to say something? I heard once that actions speak louder. Actions speak louder than words. That sounds familiar. Yeah, I've heard that too. Yeah. Let's back up from this Little excerpt from Matthew 12 we took here of Jesus' conversation with the Pharisees. Let's see what else he says. So if we back up to verse 33 in Matthew 12. So Jesus was healing people and he was casting out demons. And the religious leaders came and said, this is by the power of the demons that he does this. This is by the power of Satan that he does this. And Jesus gets very harsh with them. And he's telling them not to blaspheme the work of the Holy Spirit. This is the Holy Spirit bringing restoration and wholeness and goodness. And you're saying it's the work of the devil? And so he gets very aggressive with them on their words. But this is what he says. And if you were with us last week, James was saying this. Remember we looked at trees, at the fruit that is being produced by the seed, by the root of the tree? You know it's an apple tree when there's apples hanging there. You know it's a dead tree when it doesn't produce fruit. So Jesus says, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. Is he talking about words or works there? Let's find out. You brood of vipers. If you thought James was bold with his words, read some of what Jesus says, especially to the Pharisees. You brood of vipers. How can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. And that's where he goes on to say, you will be judged for every careless word. And so the the trick question I gave you there, the answer is this, yes. Both our words and our works will display what we worship. You can't separate them. A tree can't grow oranges and apples. And your words will display what is going on in your heart just as your works will. They all come from the same root. And in fact, even more than that, we can't separate them because your words are not just merely words as we would think in our culture Like, it's just this flippant thing. It doesn't matter. Like, get over it. I said it. No, our words are actually works themselves. Our words are doing something. Have you ever thought about that? Not just what are you saying. What are you doing with your words? God's word performs. It creates 
It upholds. It changes the course of life itself. And you and I, whether you're a follower of Christ here today or not, we are all made in the image of that creator. Our words have power. Our words do something. And so you can't separate your words, works, and worship. They're all one, flowing out of the same heart, flowing out of the same thing you are rooted in. And if you are rooted in Christ, if you are abiding in him, then your actions and your words will display the love of Christ. And if you are rooted in something else entirely, that will be evident too. Sometimes you'll be able to mask it for a time, right? Like the Pharisees knew how to like polish up and figure out the right things to say. Let's be honest, you and I are good at that too. Right? All of us. If we ever question like the, what James is saying here about how none of us can control the tongue, we just got to look at our kids, right? Like our kids seem like they're well-equipped from the moment they could talk to say all the wrong things. And somewhere along the way, you and I learn how to mask that a little bit. We learn how to cover it up and like put some polish on it. But if we get underneath that a little bit, if we dig a little deeper, we see that our words are revealing our true heart as well. If we were to hear one another speak when you didn't know other people around to hear you speak about them, if we were to hear what you would say in your car when you're by yourself and someone cuts you off, you know what the biggest thing social media has done for our society? is it has enabled all of us to really reveal what's in our hearts. The things you would never dream of saying to a person face to face, somehow behind a screen we are emboldened to just rip people apart, right? And if we think that those words aren't doing something, if it isn't producing some kind of fruit, then we're fooling ourselves. So James says, no one can tame this tongue. Not one of us. What do we do with that? With this thing that is going forth and doing something. This is, this is how much our words are doing something. What does James say in verse five, the end of verse five? How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire, and the tongue is a fire. My wife and I, the last time we were in California, we were driving through um, LA, we were getting into LA, and we are on the 91 at this point, and it was like we turned around this mountain, and all of a sudden, it looked like the apocalypse. The LA fires were going on. And seriously, like, this was the most crazy thing I had ever seen personally in my life. And they hadn't shut down this freeway yet. It was like one of the last ones that they hadn't shut down. And so we're driving, and on the, in the like, middle, the median area, just up in flames. And then on our left, up in flames, like everywhere. It was crazy. And we're driving through fire. I was a little scared. 
I'm gonna be honest. But it looked like it looked like there was an attack and a bomb had gone off and it just destroyed everything. The sky was orange. There was ash falling everywhere. It looked like it was snowing. It really felt like the apocalypse. But what's crazy is a bomb didn't set that fire off. There wasn't some giant explosion. It was a fire started from a spark. A small little spark started this gigantic destructive fire and set it ablaze. And if James is correct that our words have that kind of power, think about how much destruction can be done with our tongues. I want to just take a moment. I'm going to stop talking for a moment. I want us just to sit and reflect on what have your words been this week? What have they been doing? This morning, as you and your family are getting ready to go out the house, What have your words look like on your social media posts? Just reflect on that and be honest between you and the spirit and just take some time of confession. God, my words have set fires ablaze. Forgive me. The prophet Isaiah encountered the presence of God. And when he did, this is a man who God had called to speak his words to people. He was God's mouthpiece at the time. And this man, when he, when he comes into the presence of God, what does he cry out? Do you guys remember? Do you know? He says, woe is me. For I am a man of unclean, what? Lips. Because he understood that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. And not only that, and I live amongst a people of unclean lips. Isaiah recognized that even he who had been speaking the word of God, the things God commanded him to say, that in other times, his words failed him. And other times, he was speaking out of his own brokenness. And he recognized that that was in, largely, in large part due to the fact that he lived in a culture of broken people with broken words, causing destruction. We live in a culture today of many careless cheap, unaccountable, destructive words. And we see it everywhere, and we're a part of it. The good news is then what happens? 
as Isaiah's lips are touched with a coal, a burning coal. This tongue that was set on fire by hell itself, James says. God comes. He touches it with a burning coal. He cleanses his mouth. He welcomes him into his presence. And he sends him back out to speak good words. True words. Life-giving words from God himself. That's the good news for us this morning. That's the good news, but we have to come to that place like Isaiah first and go, woe is me. Like I, if we don't recognize that, the destruction that our words can bring, there's a problem. If Isaiah saw it in himself, surely you and I can see that in our words, right? And those words are, are doing something. And James says, Those words are set on fire. Not just do they start a fire, but they are set on fire by hell itself. This is why he goes on to talk about like, that. this can't be, brothers and sisters. Does a a spring pour forth fresh, clean water that you can drink and also salt water that you can't drink? No, it's one or the other, right? Does does a tree grow two different kinds of fruits on it? No, it's one or the other. He's saying in the same way, you who are a child of God cannot walk around with a tongue set on fire by hell. This can't be. My son, Cannon, he's nine years old, one of my nine-year-olds, has a boy in his class that he, he comes home and he struggles with him because this boy, Brandon, will just do and say some really mean things, some hurtful things to not just my sons, but also the other kids in the class. And I overheard him, they had, he had a particularly rough day of just feeling like, man, Brandon said these things to me today and he was feeling really hurt. And I overheard him later talking to someone else about it, to another adult, and they said, man, I'm really sorry about that, Cannon. And Cannon said, well, you know, I, I know, but I understand Brandon has a, a rough life. And he doesn't have a great relationship with his mom. And so I think that's why he talks that way to people. I don't know if my wife had a conversation with him that like gave him this insight. Because <laughs> I was like, that's some wisdom for a nine-year-old right there. But how true is that? Have you heard the expression, hurt people hurt people? And the the truth is that broken people who are hurting speak broken words that hurt other people often. That's where it comes from. It's coming from a place of brokenness. It's coming from a place of hurt. It's coming from a place of despair, a place of loneliness, something that is rooted not in the life-giving love of Jesus that you and I have. And the call to us as followers of Christ, brothers and sisters in Christ, the call to us is to no longer speak out of our brokenness, but to speak out of the life, the restoring life that's been given to us in Jesus. That's what we are called to. Fresh and salt water can't come from the same place. You and I have been given life in Jesus. 
We have been given the gift of the Holy Spirit. Don't keep speaking out of brokenness, out of hurt, out of despair. How often have you complained this week? Does that display a God who has provided all things for you that you need? Who has loved you when you didn't deserve it? How often have you talked down to or about someone? Does that display the God who made himself low and came down to you and I? That though we were lowly and didn't deserve it, he has then brought us up and restored us? And then we speak down to other people? How often do we come and we worship this God together and then we go and we just lambast somebody on Facebook because they have different views than us? Somebody on the other end of that screen who is made in the image of that same God you were just praising. It's a reflection of that God. And we, we destroy them with our words. We tear them down. Brothers and sisters in Christ, no longer speak, no longer act out of your brokenness from your sin or from what's going on in this world around us. We are called to live and speak out of the restoring life we have in Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. You do have power to tame your tongue. I have power to tame my tongue. It's not in our flesh. It's not in ourselves. It's not in these tricks and things that we can teach ourselves so that we can control it better. It's in the power of the Holy Spirit of God dwelling within us, body of Christ. And if you're sitting here and you aren't a follower of Jesus or you're wondering if you are and you've been speaking only out of your brokenness, listen, that invitation is for you too, that you can find the restoring, life-giving word of God spoken over you. Do you know in Zephaniah chapter three tells us that God himself rejoices and sings loudly over his people with his love. Isn't that amazing? The God who spoke, talk about your words doing something, right? The God who spoke all things into existence speaks and there's life. Brokenness came when the first man and woman decided not to listen to the life-giving words of God, but to listen to the lying words of the enemy. That's when brokenness and death and fire started setting ablaze to all of creation. Listening to the word of Satan over the word of God. But the good news is the very word of God himself comes down into our existence, comes down into our creation, dwells among us, Jesus our Christ, our Messiah, our Lord, our Savior, our Rescuer, our Savior, our Shepherd, our King, is the very word of God made flesh, living with us. And he speaks reconciliation. He speaks good news to the poor. 
He speaks restoration between our union with God. And even when Jesus, who comes and gives his own life for us, is hanging on a cross, he is still speaking words of blessing. Is he not? To the man on the cross next to him, today you will be with me in paradise. To his father, God, forgive them. These people killing me, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Jesus' last words before he dies are words of blessing to us. Finally, it is finished. This work of restoring what's been broken is finished. And with that word, the word of God himself, you and I have a hope to walk in new life. Do I have one more verse up there? No? Okay, I'm going to read it to you from here then. Let's see if we find it. Proverbs 10, verse 11. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. We have life himself dwelling within us. We as a church get to be a fountain of life. Don't take that for granted. Don't underestimate that and the power that it holds. One last thing I want to leave us with. James is talking about tongues set on fire by hell. Can you picture another moment in the story of God throughout scripture where there is something like Fire over tongues. Anyone? Yeah, Pentecost. Acts chapter 2. Jesus' followers are wondering what is going on. Like, our Savior, he just came and then he was killed. What do we do now, right? What do we do now? And they're scared and they're hiding. And Jesus told them, I'm sending you, though, a gift. My promise is that the Holy Spirit, who empowered me to do all these things, will now empower you as the body of Christ here on earth now to do all these things and even more. Wait for that promise. And when the Spirit comes upon the followers of Jesus, they see something like tongues of fire coming over each and every single one of them. So that those who had tongues set on fire by hell are now going out with tongues set on fire by the Holy Spirit of God. Just as Isaiah got his lips cleaned with the hot burning coal from God. And so now the guy Peter who went out denying Jesus three times is now going out and publicly preaching the good news of Jesus to thousands of people. That's the transformation you and I have if we are in Jesus too. That's the hope that we have. When we read that and we go, man, it's tongue set on fire by hell. Like what hope do we have? We got to know the whole story, right? The Holy Spirit, if you are in Jesus, cleanses you and sets you on fire for good to speak life, to be a fountain of life to all around you. 
but we need him for this work. And so would you join me in praying for the Holy Spirit to do that for us? God, we pray that you would cleanse us from our unrighteousness, from our brokenness. And that as you do your great work to bring healing and restoration to us, making us whole once again, turning our hearts to worship you, that our works and our words may display that. We pray that our words of our mouths and the meditation of our hearts would be acceptable to you. God, we pray that you would set our tongues on fire by your Holy Spirit, that we would boldly proclaim the good news that life is had only in Jesus Christ. God, this is for the the purpose of your glory, Father. We thank you and we are humbled that you sing and speak over us. You rejoice over us. You delight in us as your creation. May we delight in you. God, if there's anyone here who hears this and still wrestles with this restless evil of the tongue because they are not delighting in you, God, maybe they've thought they had, maybe they said a prayer, they said the right words, but their heart isn't rooted in you, abiding in you, and the fruit of that tree is displaying that. Spirit, we pray you would come and set ablaze their heart right now. Show us as a church family how to come alongside them and equip them for this new life, that we would disciple one another in Jesus, that we would more boldly and lovingly declare and demonstrate who you are. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.